Hey everyone, this is Tom Singer. Before we get started with today's episode, I want to inform you about a special offer that I have to join a brand new group called My Sales Call. If you work for a small business or if you're a solopreneur, having some people to talk about ideas and best practices and to have a focus and accountability around sales is so important. It's so easy to get caught up in the busy work that we don't do what we need to do to drive the sales in our business. So I have started a weekly call where people can get together and share ideas around sales and then make a commitment to the group of what they're going to accomplish for the next week. It's just like if you work for a big company, your sales manager would have a weekly sales call. This is your sales call. Go to mysalescall.com to find out more and sign up today. Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Well, hello, and welcome to, or welcome back to, Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. I can't believe it that we are just, we are just days away. We are days away from the new year. It's going to be 2020 in just a matter of hours. Unbelievable. And I got to tell you, 2019 was a great year for me. It was a great year for this podcast. Uh, we grew the listenership. We had some fun. Uh, we switched up the uh, the format for a while. I was doing solo episodes for most of 2019. And then I got so far ahead with interviews that I started making both Tuesday and Thursday interview programs again. Otherwise, the people I interviewed, their shows wouldn't have aired until like April. And uh, I don't like to interview people and then tell them, yeah, your show will come out probably after you're dead. So uh, I do try to keep these things within a month or two of when we we do the interview. And so uh, 2020, I am going to stretch back into doing more solo episodes once we get caught up. I've got some exciting things going on. Uh, I've met some really cool people, and I want to be able to share all of that with you. So as you know, each time we have someone as a guest, my goal is to find out from them how they got into this journey of entrepreneurship. What has been their path? Because I know one thing is true, and that is success leaves clues. And when we get these people to tell us about their success journey as an entrepreneur, they just can't help it. They have to give us a nugget, a theory, an idea. They sprinkle some crumbs, and it's our job to find the ones that work for us, scoop them up, and put them to work in our own businesses. And I think today is going to be one of those days. Today I have with me Jonathan Palmer. Now, he is somebody I met when I was the opening keynote speaker and the master of ceremonies at a big conference in the industrial fabrics industry. And as a lot of you know, I make my living speaking at big association events and at company trainings. And what I've learned from associations is there is an association for everything. But when I get to spend time there for a couple of days and you meet the people who are working in these industries, you're like, there's an industrial fabrics industry? There sure is, because if you look around everywhere you work and play, there's fabric. If you've gone to, like, uh, I was just in the Denver airport a few days ago, and their entire terminal is covered in fabric. They don't have a roof. They have this giant fabric thing. Well, guess what? There's a company out there who makes giant sheets of fabric that they use in place of roofs everywhere. If you go to kids' schools, there's all kinds of things that are up there that, that create that uh, uh, shade that's there. Anyway, there's fabrics all over the world of business, and there are people who do just that. And Jonathan's company, Autometrics, they are a company that produces cutting systems to be able to cut these industrial fabrics, textiles, and composites. And Jonathan's story is interesting because he took the company over from his father. 
So I like it when we get to talk to people who maybe have a little bit different path into their entrepreneur journey. And as he and I sat around and chatted at this conference, I'm like, uh, I need to have you on the show because you've got some interesting insights in, in what you've done with, with your family business. So I asked him, he said yes. And so Jonathan Palmer, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thanks for having me on today, Tom. So I don't really read bios or, or company, you know, the things that your, your PR people send out. So do me a favor and kind of start off and tell us who is Jonathan Palmer, what's your background, and give us a little bit more about Autometrics than, than I gave. Sure. Uh, so I am a relatively young uh, second generation owner of a growing company, and I have a degree actually in mechanical engineering. Um, and so I am a mechanical engineer at heart who has done everything I can to learn how to also be a business person, which isn't always something that comes supernaturally. Um, also heavily focused on my own family. So I have um, the privilege of obviously still working with my dad now some, even though I own the business. Um, and then I have a wife, I have three small kids. Um, so constantly trying to find the right balance between doing what's right for the company and investing in that and investing in the people that work for me, as well as um, obviously investing everything that I need to in my family and being part of my parents' life as they age as well and all of that. So trying to find that balance and constantly learning as I go through all of that. <laughs> sure. Well, we all, we all go, there's more than, there's more than one dimension to all of us. So we all have to somehow find out like a lattice, how we, we connect all of those pieces together. So uh, you took the business over from your dad, but you went on and started off getting an engineering degree. So that wasn't necessarily like, yeah, I'm an entrepreneur. I'll just take over dad's business. You, you started off on a little bit of a different path. So what led you back to the family business? Yeah, I definitely started off on a different path. Um, I loved, I grew up working at Autometrics some, um, worked there through the summers, worked there um, continuing through college. Uh, was around all the different aspects of the business, was involved with um, building the equipment, uh, packaging it, ready, getting it ready to ship, was involved even with installing it in some places. Um, and then as I got older, started working my way through college, was involved with some machine design aspects. And I loved everything that I did, um, but really, it never even occurred to me that I might run a business at some point. Um, engineers, we like to design things, we like to tinker. And so you just kind of start seeing like, oh, this is the thing. And yes, some engineers go pretty quickly onto a management track, but then you end up doing engineering management. That's just kind of what everyone around you is doing. Um, so as far as what actually led me back to here was it was a personal family issue where um, my senior year of college, my mother had a stroke. And she's actually, she's doing really well now, but it was very serious at that point. And so my, at the time, fiance and I decided pretty last minute that instead of me moving to where she was living and joining her in a life in Iowa, uh, we came back to my hometown, um, had to find out where she was going to get a job and rapidly make some changes. So I came back and worked as a mechanical engineer um, at Autometrics for really the first several years of my, my starting career. So when you think back to the people that you went to college with, I mean, you know, there's a lot of engineers who become entrepreneurs. However, it's probably not the predominant thing. As you sit around a classroom and say, hey, engineer, 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 engineer. Is that something that you guys sat around like when you'd have a beer in college and say, so I'm going to get this engineering degree and then I'm going to take over a business and I'm going to grow it and I'm going to take risk and I'm going to have employees? 
or was that more, is that more the anomaly with sort of that engineer mindset? Yeah, I think it's definitely a bit of an anomaly still. What you do see, well, I think you see more entrepreneurship with software developing engineers. So many um, computer engineers, software engineers, there's just more of a, I have an idea and I can turn that into a reality mindset where um, when you come into the mechanical and electrical side, especially on the civil side, it's harder to imagine I'm going to do something that no one's ever done before. And I'm going to start that and move it and turn it into something. And when I look at Autometrics, my dad started that when it was something new. There were a handful of other companies that were starting up all around the same time in the late 80s to start to take advantage of you know the personal computer becoming a thing and becoming affordable as well as automation becoming affordable. And so they really built something up new from the beginning. And I think, not to sound like a downer, but that's just harder and harder to find something that someone else hasn't already done. Um, and so I think, especially again, on the hardware side of engineering, you're less likely to find people that are like, I'm going to come up with an idea that nobody's ever done and go do it. Sure. So, you know, I'm glad to hear also, by the way, that your mom recovered, but you're, you're in this state of flux, your fiance, now wife, and you, you move back to California. You decide that's where you, what you're going to do. You're going to help out. You go to work for your dad. When did the transition come that you said, hey, dad, I think I'll buy the company from you? Yeah. Um, I wish I could point to a really specific time. And I, you know, not knowing who listens to your podcast, I'll be a little bit careful with some of what I, what I say. But um, w when I came back, uh, I was very frustrated by some of the management that was kind of happening as my dad had removed himself a little from the business to pay more attention to my mom, um, which was, you know, I'm really glad he had the opportunity to do that. But some of the management that was left in place were really well-meaning people that maybe weren't like perfectly suited for that role. They were just there by nature of, oops, someone's got to cover this. And so um, I started having conversations with my dad and saying, we got to change this and we got to change that. And I was young and I was idealistic and I thought, we'll just change these few things and everything will be fine. And finally, wait, 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 you mean there's like 25 year olds who are young and idealistic who think, I know, hey, it's I really can do a better believe. job. I can do better than all these experienced people. <laughs> it's very hard to believe. And um, yeah, I was, I was totally idealistic and I can already look back and see that and see that um, my dad was right. In some ways he said, you don't get to just bring up the problem. If you want to fix it, then I don't see who I'm going to point to in my organization right now to fix it. So you can fix it, but you've got to start thinking along those terms. So that was part of it was that recognition of, oh, if I'm going to bring up the problem, I guess I should be willing to step in and try to fix it. Um, but the other side of that idealism, which I guess I, I really didn't learn for still some time was I thought I was going to be the hero. Um, I knew other people were frustrated that it worked there for a very long time. And I thought, man, I'll come back in here. I will say, I'm going to be in charge. We'll get this place going again. And I thought everyone would just be on my team with that. And you very quickly have to learn, oh, everyone is on your team until you try to change something in their world. And then nobody's on your team anymore. <laughs> or it's very rare when someone's on your team. So I would say there was a lot of idealism on my part as far as, oh, I'll just be able to do this. I've known these people for forever. Everything will be fine. 
mixed with my dad recognizing if you want this place to change, you have to be a part of that. And so both those two things together, I guess, landed me where I started. Well, and that's really good advice from your dad. One of the things I talk about when when I go into companies, I, I do a talk called The Paradox of Potential. And I talk to managers and employees about how do we help people get across that that natural gap that exists for so many people from potential to results. And I've interviewed a lot of successful people like you. And one of the common things that, that comes up is you can't be a finger pointer. If you want to be successful, you've got to take ownership of things and you got to you got to understand where your faults are and you can't just be pointing at other people for their mistakes and 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 finger pointing is a, is a big thing that a lot of people do. They come in and go, "Hey, I see the problem that you have," and they're not engaged in it. And then one of that other things I ask audiences all the time, I say, "Have you ever worked with somebody who's really good at pointing out the problems?" but never really rolls up their sleeves and helps solve them. And so I would love to have known, you know, I'd love to know your dad because he is right on the money with one of the mm-hmm. biggest pieces of advice I've gotten from interviewing people about this topic. So, so that was good advice he gave you then, right? Absolutely. And, um, you know, solving those problems, any leader has to have the ability to step back and self-reflect at some point, right? Or else, well, I think there are, everyone knows famous leaders that are probably way more successful than me who I'm not sure spend much time self-reflecting, but I like to self-reflect. And I can already look back and say, I remember as an engineer being so frustrated when plans would change and just feel like, man, if, if people would just let the engineers do our jobs and stop changing plans, we would have better products and we would have rolled things out on time and everything would be fine. And the number of times I stop and think, as I'm telling engineers, you know, we got to change plans because of this other thing that happened and we have to pursue this thing. I'm doing exactly what used to drive me nuts. (laughs) And you have to do it because now you're in a completely different spot and you have completely different knowledge and and information to work with. But hopefully there's still that little part of you in the back of your mind that's, you know, silently apologizing to the people you used to criticize when they did the exact same thing and recognize that, you know, everybody's trying to do their best in the roles that they find themselves in. So, but conducting change the way you were told by your dad and the way you did mm-hmm. it, when, when you actually roll up your sleeves and, and get your hands dirty to do it, instead of just blaming and pointing fingers, it it's hard work. And that's why people don't want to do it. It's so much easier to go, oh, they're wrong. So what was the process like then as you grew from being the son of the owner who's trying to learn to roll up his sleeves to, hey, I'm going to buy this company? Yeah. Um, and again, it was a mutual process between, you know, my parents and myself and my wife, really, and deciding that that was where we wanted to be. And then um, my dad really deciding, all right, then let's start preparing the company for that transition. And, you know, one of the things in the industrial fabrics world, we know a lot of people who are small family businesses. That's We work with small family businesses all the time. And in that work, I have come to just greatly appreciate how my dad handled it because I've seen family businesses where we all know you're going to take over this business at some point, but we also know that your dad is still making every decision and you have no real power. And if you tried to make a change, it may get overturned the day, the next day. And my dad was able to step back. He made clear there were certain things. I mean, we, we definitely butted heads over some things. And I was told, you don't get to make a change with, you know, this person or that, that part of the organization. Um, but the amount that he was able to step back and say, okay, we're preparing for this. And the best way we can prepare for that is to make clear to the people that work here that you 
get to make these decisions and that I support you in that. Um, I think looking back over that process, that's just the, the most helpful and biggest thing that happened was everyone knew Jonathan is taking over parts of this business at the time, and he has full support of the guy who used to be in charge. And that very quickly, you know, cuts in front of the conversations where you find out I said something and then someone went over and, you know, it's kind of like mom said, don't do that. And then the kid runs over to dad to try to get a different answer. And my dad was able to just draw a line and and step back from those decisions and say, I'm going to support you in the decisions you're making. So once he made the decision and once I made the decision to make that transition, then he was nothing but supportive. And I can't say how important, I can't overstate how important that is to making it a smooth transition. So how long has it been now since you've fully taken over the company? How long has, have you been the, the chief, the chief bottle washer of the company? Yeah. So in 2011 was when we made the decision that we were going to make that process happen. And um, I actually hired a CEO that worked for me for a little while because um, I was very uncertain of my own abilities to manage a company. Um, and then starting about two years ago was when I took over the CEO mantle. So I know that your company's growing. And mm-hmm. so, you know, you're a second generation family business in sort of, you know, a machinery type type world. Not something where you'd say, oh, this is like a super growing industry, at least from the outside looking in. What mm-hmm. have you done to get the company on this growth track? Yeah. Um, going back to engineers trying to run businesses, um, my dad was an engineer solidly. And so uh, he loved finding out what problems could be solved, building what I believe to be very high quality products and high quality solutions for the people he was talking to. And his interest lay, you know, almost all in that court. Let's make new products. Let's make cool things. Right. And then when it came to now let's manage, you know, are we giving all of the employees annual reviews and are we making sure that we're guiding people through their own growth for their, the sake of their, um, you know, careers and things like that. The, the, the more business management side of things, as well as the sales side of things was just not his favorite thing to do. And even if he listens to this podcast, uh, he will agree with that. So I feel comfortable <laughs> saying that. So, uh, and, and, and by the portion, way, if, and by the way, if he does listen, hi, dad, there we go. And I will make sure that I recommend he listens. So, um, he, he built this this foundation that most entrepreneurs, right? And you and I had this conversation. I don't know if I count as an entrepreneur because I got to start with this very strong foundation of a quality product, some cash flow, things were going okay. Um, and so my focus has really been on building a sales team, finding the right people that can be involved in sales, in, in consistent marketing um, to really take, I think, what it, we believe is the market share that we deserve, given the quality of our products. And we fell behind for a lot of years in just not being as good at sales and marketing as we needed to be, as good at telling our story as we needed to be. So that's been the focus of my thrust. So one of the things to grow a business you know, in any industry is getting the right people around you. So how hard has it been as you've grown and changed and added new people and new roles, how, how hard is it to attract the, the right level of people? I mean, you're, you're not in a metropolitan area. So how hard is that to find mm-hmm. the right people? Yeah. Um, 
incredibly hard at times. And then other times things just happen that are, that are wonderful. So I've had, you know, I've learned the hard way that everyone looks really good in an interview. <laughs> if you don't look good in an interview, then that's, you know, another story, I guess. But, um, you really aren't going to know how effective someone is, how good someone is at what they're saying they're going to be good at sometimes for years. Um, I think you can oftentimes see signs in hindsight, but finding the right people, especially in a small community can be very hard. Um, but then other times, and you know, I, I don't remember if you met um, our director of sales out at IFAI, but um, he and I met at another convention. We were both talking to each other one evening and ended up finding out that we had all these things in common. And he was working for another in- company in the industry. And I came back and actually told my dad, I don't understand why I can't find people like that. Like, <laughs> man, that guy was solid. And he called me six months later and asked if there was a place in the business for him. And so sometimes things just happen. And I guess all I can really try to take away from that is I like to think I'm not a mean spirited person or someone who comes across grumpy or bad or whatever. And so if I can just be me and make clear the values that I have and the values that I'm going to bring to the table in a business that should attract the right types of people. And then when you find those right types of people, you get them involved in every way you can to show that you value what they're bringing to the table and, and you try to retain them. So what do you love about this life of, of being this business owner? And, and you, you questioned if you were an entrepreneur, you, you are an entrepreneur. You just came into it through a little different, mm-hmm. a little different path. But anyone, you know, I look at it this way. Anybody who's running a business and actually growing something, that's entrepreneurial. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think I'm coming around to that viewpoint on things as well. What do I love about it? I love so much about it. Um, there's absolutely days where I feel like every time things are going well, there's something else that's about to pop up and clobber me. <laughs> um, I mean, we had to cancel this interview, right? Because I live in a part of California that keeps turning the power off. Yeah, this uh, this will yeah. air this will air right at the holidays. But but if you remember okay. back to October, you know there were I think something like you know hundreds of thousands of people, if not a million yeah. people, in Northern California who were without power, and and we were supposed to do this interview a week or two ago, and Jonathan's like, uh, my power is going to go out in about an hour for five days. Uh, so I don't think I can, I don't think I can go online and be interviewed. And I thought that's a bigger problem than I have. If you're not going to have power for five days. Yeah. So, you know, things, there always feels like there's problems waiting to crop up and you're just pulling your hair out. But the freedom that I have to look around my organization, look around the people around me, see things I want to improve, things I want to change, make those decisions and then pursue that change. Um, the freedom I have to decide what kinds of products I want to um, build the freedom I even have to decide how to treat our customers. Um, this, this is maybe a silly way to look at it, but I think we've all had experiences with large companies and their customer service and all those large companies have lawyers. So I won't mention any names, (laughs) but you, you have this experience with customer service. And and for me, I walk away from that always thinking, how can that be person be happy in his job? Because he knows he didn't help me today. He knows no one was happy after he spoke with him today. And so just to even have the freedom to say, that's not what I want to have be what's what's in my life or in anyone that's working for me life. We're going to take care of our customers. We're going to be honest and all of that. Knowing that 
I can only create my own problems in some ways that I'm never going to be stuck saying, I have to answer to that man over there. And so I'm going to do what he says to do, even though I disagree with it. Um, that's an under, or maybe it's not undervalued, but I feel like that's, that's right there why I love being in charge. So if someone's listening to this and you could give them advice on what they needed to do to, to, to go carve their own path, whether it's starting their own business or maybe taking over the family business, what advice would you have for somebody who wants to excel into that type of a leadership entrepreneurial role? Well, if you find someone with that advice, send them my way. I'd love to hear it. Um, but I think you just have to be ready to make decisions that you are not actually probably feeling all that confident in making. And you have to, you have to feign that confidence until you start to learn that it's going to be okay. You have to just be willing to make decisions. Because looking back, some of the times where I wish I'd done things differently, or maybe I misstepped, or really when I just lacked confidence to move forward. And so either I got just kind of stuck feeling like I don't have all, engineers love to make decisions when we have data. And so I either felt like I didn't have enough data, so I just couldn't make the decision. And I got kind of paralyzed. Or... I didn't have enough confidence to say, you know what, I can do that part of this business better. So I'm going to take over the management of that part of it. Or the confidence that I could attract someone to come work for me who would be really good. And I don't have to be worried about losing this person because I can find someone better. Mm -hmm. um, so it's really just the willingness to step out there with confidence, try things and move forward. Because if you get paralyzed feeling like you're not ready for it, or you don't have enough information, you're never going to do it. So a newer question that I ask the people who come on this show is how important do you think it is for an entrepreneur? And this kind of dovetails off what you just said, how important is it for them to trust themselves? But mm -hmm. then a follow-up piece of that is how important it is for an entrepreneur to like themselves. Hmm. <laughs> That's a really good question. I know. That's why I ask it now. Yeah. Uh, you have to. Well, if you don't like yourself, I guess I'm having a hard time imagining how I'd be able to trust myself. And so I, I think that also just goes back to I try to be as real with the people that work for me and work with me as I can. And hope that I am relatively likable. And I like myself. I mean, my parents would laugh at that statement because they watched me grow up and I think sometimes felt like I had way too much confidence and yeah. they wish they could spread that around with my other siblings. But, <laughs> um, you know, I don't, there, there's not stuff that I've done in life where I feel like I'm not ashamed of it, I guess. And so I feel fairly confident in moving forward. And then as far as trusting man, trust is a big word, but you, Trust and confidence, I guess, kind of go hand in hand. If you're going to be confident in your decisions and you have to trust that things are going to be, trust that you did the right thing to get to that decision. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think it's very important. Otherwise, you're again going to be constantly questioning your own decisions. So when I go in and work with teams, one of the things I talk about is this gap that exists between potential and performance. Why do you think some people get farther across it when others just fall into the abyss? Confidence. Mm -hmm. I'll go back to that. And uh, uh, um, this is another kind of funny thing that I think engineers bring to the table with business. I know too much. So when I see other companies, you know, with this like really confident tagline about how their products the best and 
I just immediately, no, it's not. Because, <laughs> and, and I can't bring myself to even have that confident tagline, right? Because at that point, you just, I can't say that this is the very best thing for this purpose. I know the weaknesses of it, right? I designed part of it and I know what decisions I made along the way. And so, you know, having, and, and I think it's important to then sometimes look outside of yourself and find the right person who can come into your organization and say, no, you should have the confidence in what you've accomplished and what you've done and what we have to offer. And maybe they're the right people to sometimes tell that story. I think that's not a universal for entrepreneurs because some entrepreneurs know exactly what they have to offer and they, they're able to go forth with great confidence. I think that's maybe unique for the engineering side of entrepreneurship to just, we know a little bit too much <laughs> and it's hard for us to be 100% confident in what we're doing. And so if that lack of confidence in your own product holds you back, you're never going to get across that abyss. If you need to find someone else to help you across that abyss, then by all means, go do it. I, cheers. I agree. Absolutely. So Jonathan, I got a couple more questions for you. But first, I have to thank the sponsor of this episode. So this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing really cool people like Jonathan Palmer. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know, I know that some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So Jonathan, I call this show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. What's the coolest thing you're doing in your business right now? Oh, I can't give details, but I will say working with engineers right now to solve a problem that we don't think has been solved to its fullest potential yet in our industry. Ooh, I love, I love the mystery. If you're, if you're, from, if you're from the industrial fabrics industry, you're shaking right now with anticipation. I know, and we can't tell. But oh. uh, and there's no telling we'll even be as successful as we want to be on that. But I love still getting to work with engineers, getting to see what we're developing, be involved. So it's exciting for you to be solving a problem. Yes. Nice, nice. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. So Jonathan, I ask everyone who comes on the show who it is out in the entrepreneur sphere, out in the world of entrepreneurs. Who do you admire? Because because we could talk about we could talk about Jonathan Palmer all day long. We could hear more of the story of Autometrics. But I think great entrepreneurs are observers, so I love to find out who do they look at and say, wow, she or he, they're doing cool things. Yeah, I should have probably a short answer to that. And so maybe I'm going to uh, kind of whiff on this, but I think I don't, I don't know that I've met one person who, I just, who stands out as you're doing everything right. And um, I, I tend to shy away a little bit from pointing to the really big names who are out there in the press and everything like that, because who knows? I just never want to completely say, I think that person's doing everything right. When then after they die, you read the exposés about how terrible of a person they were or something <laughs> like that. But I, it, you, you talk in your keynote about connecting with people. So when I'm at conventions and I'm talking to, people who are 
running a small business or running a large business, there's very few of those who I would say you can't learn something from. They are all trying to make a living doing something that they love to do. And some of them are more successful at that than others, to be perfectly frank. And some of them are doing things that you and I wouldn't even know need to be done in the world. You would never know that there's a market for it. And they're, they found their niche and they're excelling at it. And so I don't, again, I don't know that there's like a person that I think, wow, that I learned so much from that one person, but I know how many times I've had conversations with people where I walk away from it thinking I should try to be more like that as mm -hmm. I lead a business. Mm -hmm. I should think about that that way, or I should be more confident in my product like that person was confident, or I should make sure that I praise my employees in front of other people like I just watched him praise his employee. I mean, it's just picking up those little things, trying to find the positives. Well, and, and there's nothing better to me than when the guest on the show actually quotes my own keynote where they saw me speak to an audience. So <laughs> I, I always say pandering to the host will get you everywhere. Yeah, it was life changing, Tom. <laughs> Absolutely life changing. <laughs> so, so you saw me speak at the IFAI conference and you're actually one of the new board members of that association, mm -hmm. main trade association for what you do. So my question is, why do you get involved with your trade association? I mean, why, why should somebody... I mean, you're busy, you're growing a business, you, you, mm -hmm. you know, you don't live in a major metropolitan area. So, you know, it's like to go to these things, you have to travel. There's a drive just to get to the airport. I mean, why, why would you even put in the time to be on the board? Sure. Um, yeah. And it's, it's actually not the first board I've chosen to be on. I'm also on a uh, local economic resource council board. And I think two things, I mean, first we have to be honest about the fact that I'm running a business. So of course there's some like I'm hoping to get something out of those interactions, right? And in the case of Local Economic Resource Council, for example, I wanted to boost the image of my own company to make it easier for me to find talent. Because if more people within our community know about the company that I have, the type of person I am, then I'm going to have an easier time with a network of people. When I say, I'm looking for someone that can help me with X, I'm going to make some progress with that. So I think it's always just reasonable to point out, you can get really good things by volunteering your time. It's not completely selfless. But I also really value the community I've gotten to grow up in and live in now, and I want good things for it. And then to switch over to IFAI and their, you know, that industry um, association, I think it probably goes back to that advice that we already talked about that my dad gave me, which is if you're going to want it to be better, if you want it to change, then you have to be willing to raise your hand and, and be willing to be involved in that. Right. So IFAI is a longstanding industry association going back. And it, this next year, we're going to have our 100th anniversary just of the exposition. So it's an even older organization than that has done really great work. But I also think that as we look towards the future, there's all these generational shifts that people love to talk about. There's changes in technology. And it's always a good idea to be looking towards that future with maybe I, I hope that I can bring a younger perspective to that. And um, sometimes I joke that I'm kind of a man without a generation. I think technically I'm a millennial, but I don't identify with anything that I hear about millennials. And so I don't really know what I am, <laughs> but <laughs> I hope to be able to bring something to that board and say, let's look to the future so that we're established for the next 100 years. Because I get good things out of being a part of that, of, of that organization and that association. 
of course I should want to give back to that and want to be involved in making it a solid organization for the future. Yeah. And it was actually, I'm, I'm not pandering back to my client, but it was a great, the expo was a great event. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was put on very well. They were looking at ways, how do we change things up? How do we stay relevant? And not all groups go out of their way to try to look to do that. So I was very mm-hmm. impressed with the staff and uh, I was even more impressed with the people, right? I mean, I've spoken for a lot of manufacturing organizations over the last couple of years. And really, this is the bread and butter. This is manufacturing is that sort of thread that runs through our economy. And sometimes I think people forget that we still have a lot of manufacturing and like companies like yours, they're growing. So I kind of really enjoyed being there because I thought that I thought that the people I mean, this is this is what America's about. Yeah, a lot of people get caught up on manufacturing and they're imagining, um, you know, robotic arms doing things or or tons of people lined up building iPods or or sewing thousands of pairs of jeans. And so often what the manufacturing that is happening in America is these semi-custom products, products that it would never make sense for you to order from another country. But that if there's somebody in your country that you can go to and say, this is exactly what I need, it makes all the sense in the world. And it's really, honestly, I love being involved with just the breadth of different types of companies that are making really cool products. Yep. And products you and I would normally, like if I wasn't in this industry, I would never even think about it. Well, I said, because sort of when I was doing the introduction, I said, what is industrial fabrics? From the time they contracted me until I showed up at the association, I spent months walking around going, that's fabric. That's fabric. Never even dawned on me before how many yeah. things that we see in our daily lives besides clothing are My wife's just fabrics. used to it now, but everywhere I go, if I see something that's made, I'm looking for a tag to see if it's either made by a customer or if it's not, I'm taking a picture of it so I can ask one of the salespeople to follow up and find out who you know, how they're building the product. That's right. So we, we, could sell, we, in. we could sell them cutting machines. We don't know who exactly. they are. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's awesome. So the last question I ask everybody on the show is, what do you do to give back to the greater good? Because I think if we're fortunate, and you're clearly fortunate, we have to find our ways to, to help others. And so I find it so interesting because everybody has so many different ways that they serve their communities and and humanity. So so what do you do? Sure. Um I'll try not to be too vague on all of this. So, I mean, we already talked about, I, I choose to be on boards. I think that that's a useful way to try to give back to organizations or communities that you are part of. Um, I also encourage my employees to do that as well if they want to. So if they want to be involved in a, an industry advisory panel for the local um, junior college, then I think that's fantastic. If they want to, um, help coach the local high school mountain bike team. I will absolutely give them flexible hours to do that because I think that all of that, again, builds back into the community that we're part of. Um, so for me personally, um, we, my wife and I have been involved with a local ministry that um, works with at-risk youth, trying to get them back on their feet. Um, it's been in our community for a long time. And so um, we actually... Before I was running a business, um, both my wife and I were working as engineers and we would take long lunches and go down. They had a high school built in and we taught science classes there for about five years, oh, which was cool. a great experience for us working with kids that are just from a completely different background than either of us were um, and getting to introduce them to topics that we think are great and help them see success in school for the first time. And then um, that 
organization does, I don't teach anymore, but they, their biggest fundraiser each year is something called the agony ride. And I like to ride bikes. And so each year, um, and a couple other employees here at Autometrics do it as well. Um, it's a 24 hour bicycle fundraiser. You get sponsored per mile and you go ride your bike for 24 hours. Um, the kids that are students at that organization come up there and they help take care of you. They're helping prepare food and everything. So they're seeing you raise money for them. Um, this last year they raised just over $200,000 in that 24 hours. Nice. And it's terribly miserable. <laughs> and it's something that I truly believe gives back to a key group of people. That's, that's a lot of being awake. I would need like eight hours of sleep <laughs> built into my 24 hours. I, I need someone else to Some ride the bike. Do that. I need someone else to ride the bike and pull a cot behind it. There so you go. Yeah. Some people definitely do take breaks. It just depends on how far you want to go. Nice. So, nice. Yeah. Well, Jonathan, thank you so much for coming and sharing your story with the audience on cool things entrepreneurs do. Like I said, success leaves clues and, and you left a lot of it. So thank you for being part of this. If somebody's listening and they're like, I have to know more of this guy, or maybe they work in the fabrics world and they're like, we need a better cutting tool manufacturer. How do they find you? How do they find Autometrics? Um, Autometrics.com. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, I am sure. Or, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Go to Autometrics, and if, if you send through the website there um, any sort of inquiry, you can get in touch with me nice. for sure. Nice. Well, like I said, thank you so much for being here. Any last words for the audience? No, uh, thank you very much for the opportunity. I've enjoyed listening to your podcast since being introduced to it. So um, thanks for inviting me to have the conversation. I enjoyed it. Well, thank you. And, and just so everybody knows, I, I had the chance to work with Jonathan. I was the moderator of a panel that he was one of the uh, industry experts on. And so we got to do some pre-calls before that conference and uh, then work together that morning. So uh, he was somebody I took a liking to. I wanted him to come on the show. And I'm really glad that he came and shared his story. So again, thank you. And thank you to the audience. Say it every episode. If it wasn't for you, why would I even do this? There'd be no show. So if you like cool things entrepreneurs do, tell a friend. Most people find the show through word of mouth. If you really like the show, you can make sure you subscribe on Apple iTunes. Maybe leave one of those really positive reviews. That just makes me smile. So uh, go ahead and do that. And tune in in a couple of days because we're going to be back with an interview with somebody just as cool as Jonathan Palmer. I know you're thinking, what? That's impossible. But it's true. Uh, but in the meantime, go out there, challenge yourself, get out of your comfort zone, try something new. And while you're at it, have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.